1: Hello, folks, I'm Rob Wolf with another episode of New Books in Science Fiction, the could this chip in my head be giving me migraines edition. (laughs) As usual, I'm talking with an amazing science fiction writer about their recent book. Today, that writer is Megan E. O'Keefe, and the book is Velocity Weapon, which tells the story of a brother and sister, the brother Biren, is part of the elite cadre that controls the interstellar gates by which humans travel quickly around the universe and the sister Sanda, is a sergeant and a gunner who early in the story is wounded and finds herself on a completely empty enemy spaceship but not just any spaceship the craft is the fastest and most powerful spaceship in the universe and it's controlled by the most advanced ai known to man And the super smart, super fast craft may or may not be Sanda's friend and may or may not be telling her the truth, while her brother is desperately trying to rescue her amid a potentially apocalyptic civil war. And she's desperately trying to figure out if she's the last human alive in her star system. And that's just book one in Megan O'Keefe's series, (laughs) The Protectorate. So Velocity Weapon came out last year, and it was nominated for the Philip K. Dick Award. The second book in the series is scheduled to come out in July. And Megan is also the author of the Scorched Continent trilogy, the first book of which, Steal the Sky, won the Gimel Morningstar Award. And Megan is on the line with me now from her home in the Bay Area. Thank you so much for joining me on New Books in Science Fiction.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. I need to hire you to follow me around and tell people what my book's about. That was great.
1: <laughs> oh, I got it right. I was worried as I was saying it, I was going, I mean, I've read the book, and I and I know the plot is amazingly intricate and very page-turny, but then as I was reading it going, I must have screwed something up in here. But
0: Oh, no, that was perfect. Yeah, it's always hard to condense something as big as a book into just a couple lines.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we can just dive right in. One thing that struck me about Velocity Weapon is at its heart, even though the title refers to a weapon and velocity refers to something fast and the the plot is very fast paced, it's really a story about people or I guess I should say sentient beings because they're not all people and there are people who, like Biron, who is the brother I mentioned before, he'll he'll sacrifice anything to get his sister back. And there's Sanda, who really cares for this AI in this spaceship, whose name is Biro. Even though he's this massive, fast, really dangerous spaceship, uh, they develop a relationship. And the two of them, this brother and sister, come from loving parents. And there's a subplot about a group of thieves who also care deeply about each other. They kind of create their own chosen family. And I guess I feel like everyone's really motivated by love, which might make the book sound sappy, and it's not sappy at all, (laughs) because as I said, it's like fast-paced, and there's a lot of intrigue, and there's a lot of twists and turns. And yet, at the base of it, it's, it's, you know, there might be resentments, and there might be revenge somewhere in there. But that isn't the underlying motivation. And I just wonder if that's your take. I mean, that was my take. Am I? Mm -hmm. Is is that what you were trying to convey?
0: Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of of stories about people who are really trying to do the right thing against unsurmountable odds. So I, I like family, you know, families. Without the usual drama and that kind of thing, I think we get a lot of that in, in things that already exist. Um, we, we've, had, we've had a lot of stories about broken families and all that kind of stuff. So I, I enjoy taking the opportunity to, to explore what a family who was, that was actually united and, and had their squabbles, of course, they are a family, um, but who loved each other and were trying to do the right thing, would do, wouldn't put in an impossible situation.
1: Yeah, because when Biren and Santa think about their parents, who happen to be two dads, they, you know, it's always with love and concern, and they miss them, and they're worried about them, and they're keeping things from them to protect them, and and it's nice.
0: Yeah, it's nice to see a healthy relationship sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so let me let me ask about Biren At the beginning of the story, he's just become a keeper so that's the role that he has studied for and it's a very privileged position in this society could you talk about why it's so important really what is a keeper and why it's so important in in prime sure. society that's the that's the name of the culture or the the system is yeah. the prime
0: so the the civilization calls itself prime um, for short and that is sh- um so short for prime inventive which was the name of the corporation um, that discovered the technology, we'll say, uh, to create the Casimir gates, the Stargates basically that allow faster than light travel. And this corporation for various reasons was incredibly secretive about the actual uh, source of that information, how it worked, um, how dangerous it was and could be. And so early on in their development, they broke apart the data and hit it on chips that are then encrypted and implanted into the skulls of the keepers who are at at the top of their society that keep that information safe, uh, quite literally, as keepers until the day that they need to scan in their chips to build another gate. Um, So it is quite literally a a keeper of, like, Prime Inventive's most valuable technology.
1: And it is interesting to me that although they're privileged with this information, they don't fully understand it, as you say. I mean, they, they have this chip they carry it around, but they're essentially carriers of information. They're not understanders of the information.
0: No. Yeah, they're not researchers in any way. actually I call them um, human encryption envelopes uh, <laughs> for the, the purpose of, of keeping the data safe. And that, that was very intentional on the, the founders' part.
1: I saw a parallel a little bit in Sanda's relationship with Biro, the super smart AI that runs the spaceship, because Biro, in a way, these chips need humans in order to keep their secrets and to pass on their information from generation to generation. I guess they've been doing this for thousands of years. And Sanda, too, is an essential partner to Biro. I mean, when when she wakes up, Mm -hmm. she finds that she's alone on this big spaceship but Bero needs her to perform certain things you mention opposable thumbs and <laughs> uh, you know even though he's super smart and can do almost anything in his mind and I say his because he does identify his pronoun as he him his <laughs> th- th- he needs her too so it's interesting in both cases that there is this human technology partnership they can't survive in a way without each other
0: yeah, a sort of symbiosis of the mechanical and the biological is definitely a major theme um, throughout all three books. And I tend to, uh, I don't like hard lines. I don't like tribalism and things like that. So I like to to break those apart. And, and, you know, usually the biological and mechanical are pitted against each other in this kind of thing. And I wanted to show a little more of how they could work together, or be interdependent instead of independent.
1: Clearly, they both benefit. So it's not any statement against technology either. I mean there is Oh
0: no. Yeah, I'm a big fan of robots.
1: So <laughs> in this future, I mean mankind has gone on for at least 2000 or no, maybe I should hold on. How many years is is, is <laughs> are the years uh, based on the same calendar so you So, you talk about prime standard year 3500 or so is when this is happening. So, does that mean it is approximately 1500 years in our future in your mind?
0: I will say, as far as the characters in the society are concerned, that is correct.
1: (laughs) Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So, as far as the people in the society are concerned, the technology is what has allowed them to survive in HABs, domed worlds protected Mm -hmm. from space. And they've used the Casimir, is that how you say it? Casimir? Yeah, Casimir. Casimir. And they've used the Casimir gates to travel across the universe, jumping through essentially, as you say, stargates or wormholes that these Casimir gates create to jump from star to star. So technology is, Mm -hmm. is essential to the way they live.
0: Yeah, they would not survive without
1: it. So let's talk a little bit about Sanda and Barrow, if we can. We we meet Sanda at the beginning of the book, and she's waking up, and she's alone on this massive enemy ship. So what's she doing there?
0: Yeah, so Sanda um, was involved in a, a war between her people and another sort of breakaway planet faction, um, that went hot unexpectedly. It was a cold war up until that point, um, and her ship was damaged when she performed a maneuver that saved a bunch of other people. Um, but she was sort of cast off in what I call escape pods, uh, basically little stasis chambers that normally the you know the winners of whatever battle uh, would come along and scoop them up later. However, uh, Sanda. Uh, was not scooped up by her people who did end up winning that battle. She was scooped up by Barrow, um, the artificially intelligent spaceship. So she wakes up um, having lost her leg in the fight and not knowing what happened.
1: And it's a classic case of someone who is controlled completely by someone else. So Barrow controls her environment and she has no other source of information mm-hmm. that allows for a whole part of the story to unfold, basically, where she's dependent upon him. And you I don't know how you would describe that exactly. I mean, it's like a closed room. It's not a closed room mystery. It's a it's some kind of closed environment, though, where you suddenly wonder, you know, where the, who's telling the truth, you know, whose perceptions are true.
0: Yeah, there are certainly elements of horror to it. Um, when you can't trust the environment you live in, I mean, the, the only thing that's keeping you alive might be dishonest, um, sort of a terrifying prospect.
1: And the stories it's telling you as well. So she's alone on this ship, but she has reason to believe based on what he's telling her that she's actually alone in her whole star system that was once populated with these opposing factions.
0: Yeah, she wakes up um, to discover that the the war is over, and it's been a couple hundred years, and she is quite probably the only living thing left in her star system.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how the story evolved for you? I mean, why was this a story you chose to write?
0: Uh, sure. Yeah. So on a very practical level. Um, I, I sent a couple of summary proposals to my agent and he liked this one. So that is the one I focused on. Uh, <laughs> but I, I really enjoy uh, Unreliable Narrators. It's something I grew up with. Um, in fact, recently, I don't know if you, you play video games, but the Final Fantasy VII game was re- re-released, remade the first half of it was. And I was playing through that. I was reminded of like how formative that game was to me originally. Um, like When I was a kid and played through Final Fantasy VII, my mind was absolutely blown uh, when we got to the big reveals, which I won't say because I don't want to spoil the game for people who are playing through it for the first time. Uh, But that was that was really formative for me. So when I set out to write velocity weapon, I knew I wanted to write a story about a family who who were trying their best in an impossible world. And I wanted to write a story about um, how sort of cults of personality can go horribly wrong and extrapolate that far into the future. And I wanted to write about technology and humanity getting along, um, despite differences. And I really wanted to lean into that unreliable narrator aspect so when I when I was originally drafting velocity weapon um, I would tell people this is this is my everybody's nice, but everybody is also a liar book uh, <laughs> they they mean well, but they are all lying about something
1: well I was fascinated to learn that the original draft of velocity weapon was about seventy thousand words and told only from Santa's perspective, and then you decided to tell it from multiple points of view, and it ended up adding another 100,000 words. So could you talk a little bit about that process, how you make that decision and the challenge of expanding and fleshing out the story that way?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So when when I first wrote it, I was entering into a new genre. And um, as I'm sure you know, it's difficult to sell things in a genre that you're not established in. Um, and I thought I would keep it sort of short and snappy and more of a science fiction thriller than a science fiction space opera. Although I cannot help myself and I world build extensively. So all of those bones were already there. Uh, <laughs> and when Breit, my editor over at Orbit, uh, called me to you know, offer on the book and work out the deal... She mentioned that she felt there was a much larger world sort of lurking below the surface, um, more of sort of, you know, the iceberg, and we were only seeing the tip. And she wanted to bring that forward by adding points of view. And she told me later that she was really nervous about that call because she was afraid I'd bulk at adding that much. Uh, But the truth is I was extremely excited. Um, I always love examining a world through different angles and different lenses because I think that really adds a richness to it. You don't fully understand a world until you see it from multiple socioeconomic classes, in my opinion. So having that option uh, to build it out and really make it more of a fully fleshed uh, civilization was exciting to me.
1: How long did it take you to add other points of view? Beren's was one of them, and then there's this character, Jules, who... Uh, was among the group of thieves I mentioned. I think those are the two other main points of view. How much work was that? Because I could see why an editor would say that if writing is also a business and you have a difference between finishing a book now or finishing it X months in the future. I wonder what that was like.
0: How do I put... I'm, I'm sort of... An absurdly fast writer. When I'm really into something, um, when, when I'm drafting, I do five to six thousand words a day. It's more of like I, I get obsessed, and it's almost like a mania. It's probably not healthy, but that's how I do it. Uh, so when when we actually had the conversation, and by the time we worked out the details of what I wanted to do with the plot and whose points of view I was going to use, uh, I already had. Uh, the voices in my head and I kind of had the rhythm of how I wanted things to go so after that it was just a matter of uh, banging it out which I, uh, I want to say three months to completion probably
1: Wow that's amazing and are you able to write full-time?
0: I am now um, as of January this year actually
1: So that was three months while you were working another job?
0: Yeah I was actually running a business
1: <laughs> Amazing can I ask what the business was?
0: Yeah, I did a home and personal fragrance, so perfume, candles, that kind of thing. A little bit of cosmetics.
1: And you gave it up just in time to be in lockdown. I guess maybe it's a good time (laughs) to just focus on your writing.
0: Oh, gosh, yeah. The timing of all this was truly surreal. Um, My my husband actually needed major emergency surgery on Christmas Day of 2019. Oh, no. And wasn't fully recovered until... He still fully recovered as a bit of a stretch, but he wasn't able to actually go back to work and function until the end of January. So, well, the first two weeks of February, actually. So my, my first month as a full-time writer, I wrote large portion of Catalyst Gate, which is the third book of the Protectorate novels, on a pull-out couch in his hospital room.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah. I mean, I guess there's never a good time to have emergency surgery, but better to have had it in January than now when people can't even visit people in the hospital.
0: Oh, I know the typing is just surreal on all
1: of it. How are things for you on lockdown? I know writers who say they're finding it a hard hard to write now even though they have more time than they've ever had to do it and I'm guessing that someone as prolific as you are maybe maybe it hasn't interfered with your flow.
0: Um, it did a little at first, uh, mostly because I was doing edits um, in March, and I find it more difficult to focus on edits when overdrafting, when there are other things going on. But um, I've kind of settled into a routine now. I think I personally tend to cope with stress and anxiety and things like that by working. And the fact that uh, writing is my job now is it's kind of a convenient
1: outlet at the moment. Can you preview a little bit? Of the uh, second book, which comes out in July.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, that one picks up right where Velocity Weapon left off, um, and it, it follows Sanda and Baron, of course. Uh, primarily, Sanda discovers uh, what actually is going on with the coordinates that were hidden in the chip in her head.
1: Okay, so there's there's that, and that, and she's yes. following that. And
0: Unfortunately, it's difficult to talk about a sequel to a second book without
1: uh, mild spoilers for the first book. So I apologize. Exactly. No, of course. <laughs> of course. Maybe could you just share a little bit about your background, about why science fiction was the thing that you and fantasy, because that's the genre of your first series. Why that's your thing, why you're drawn to that and express yourself creatively that way.
0: Oh, yeah. So um, I started, I'd say I started writing, um, not stories, but uh, characters and settings and things like that uh, with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, role playing online, that kind of stuff. Um, I was in the message boards in the the early 90s, uh, staying up far too late at night uh, to write out scenes and ideas. Um, so that's sort of where my roots in writing are is it as a dungeon master or storyteller for talking uh, world of darkness. We did a lot of vampire role playing too. And the, for me, I mean, fantasy was what got it started um, because of the dungeons and dragons and things like that. And of course, reading the books and the science fiction came a little later uh, because I, I ended up learning how to program uh, when I was a teenager and I still do it uh, as a hobby. Sometimes I do a little hobbyist game dev And I was on, you know, the robotics team in high school. We made autonomous robots and all that kind of stuff. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, I just really love playing with technology. So it it was a natural fit.
1: Great. And you have something, I suppose, since you're almost done, or are you finished the third book already?
0: Yeah, the third book is with my editor right now.
1: And so after this series, you have a vision for what you're going to be spending your time on?
0: Yeah, I have, I have two, uh, two proposals who, that are also with my editor right now. So I will get back to you <laughs> on how that shakes out. <laughs> but definitely more space opera, for sure.
1: Well, I thank you so much. It's really been fun talking to you about Velocity Weapon. And good luck with Chaos Vector. That's the name of the second book. Is that right?
0: Yes, that's it.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: All right. Thanks for having me. It's fun.
1: I've been talking to Megan E. O'Keefe about Velocity Weapon, which came out from Orbit last year, and the second book in Megan's Protectorate series, Chaos Vector, comes out in July. Please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave a review to show your support. Our theme music is by Michael Aaron of QuiverNYC.com. I'm Rob Wolf, and I produce and edit the show. The New Books Network was founded by the thick-skinned but warm-hearted Marshall Poe and he is helped by the nimble and tireless Leanne Wilson. One of the good things about reading is that you can do it during lockdown and you don't even need a mask and there's no such thing as too much reading so have at it. Thanks for spending some of your precious podcast time with us today. I'll be back in a few weeks with more.